welcome to Unpeeling the Onion, a podcast that explores the drives and motivations that guide people's best work. Other podcasts ask what people do or how they do it. Unpeeling the Onion asks why. My name is Marcus Banks. Our second conversation is with Mikkel Maher, an experimental playwright and theater instructor in Chicago. Mikkel describes how great works of literature inspire his own creativity, what it is like to be part of a theater company with no director, and why A Charlie Brown Christmas deserves repeat viewings, even if you are not a Christian. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Mikkel Maher. We're here today with Mikkel Maher, playwright in Chicago. He was on the Unpeeling the Onion podcast. And Mikkel, uh, please describe, before we get into the heart of the matter, a little bit about your what drew you to playwriting, uh, however far back in your life uh, you would like to go, and then, and then, you're, uh, then we'll take it from there. Sure. Uh, um, I grew up in Michigan, um, child of the 70s, uh, and, um, uh, you know, we, I remember writing plays in, in fourth grade. I was in, in, in you know, one of those groovy open classrooms, and, we, and uh, we were allowed to do a lot of things on our own and were encouraged to, to make stuff, and I remember making plays from an early on, uh, from an early age. So I think it's something that just, it's, when we talk about why I do this, it's difficult to to plumb those depths, I think, because it goes back so far for me. Um, just something I always liked. My, my older brother um, was into theater, and, um, I, you know, I looked up to him and, and wanted to do things that he did. And so sure, sure. the usual reasons you get into things, and, you know, I don't think there's any anybody out there with a origin story around theater that's particularly unusual <laughs> it's, I, you know it's just something it's, it's something that humans do and that's what and, and and that's what i do so um i'm a i'm a pretty bad actor but good enough to have gotten some roles and and uh enjoyed them um and so that that also uh is one of those things that that drew me into the into the arena um and i, I think that's sort of common i think I think other playwrights um, mm-hmm. there's who, who, who have uh, varying degrees of, of acting ability, um, and uh, I'm just one of those. Uh, and you have to be a good actor to be a, to be a playwright, but it, I think it sometimes helps to be a bad one because it gets you in on that first rung, and then you, you you're frustrated as an actor, and so you turn to the uh, to, to playwriting. So what? Uh, not to plump to. What were your challenges with acting? Acting tar, you know. Does I I I'm asking because in high school, of course, I was able to act in a couple of school plays, and then when I went to Northwestern, and I was actually competing against real actors for jobs, that was that was my moment of humbling, you know. <laughs> like, so how yeah. did how did you? Uh, just I think uh, I have a very limited range, um, uh, and and I have a difficulty of being in the moment. I think I'm not I'm not particularly yeah. spontaneous. I like to think think things through. Uh, so those were that's what I came up against. I think and that those yeah. So that I think that sure, the sure, natural sure. choice was just you know to to start to tend towards writing because of that. Do you have so these days? Do you act at all? I, I know like some of your early productions from theater. Is it Ooh Ooh Black? Black. Uh, just from the Dr. Seuss. Uh, yeah. So you yes. acted at, at the beginning of those, I think. Yeah, and, and, the, and there was more of an expectation in our company 
it was sort of an unwritten rule that the playwright would be in in his or her play. Um, okay. okay, and there's there's reasons for that, but it that rule is sort of um, abated over the years. But yeah, there was there was an expectation that we would that we we would be in our own plays, so we would have to suffer along with the rest of the cast. It was the basic idea. So you couldn't sort of take over the room in the same way and be the the sort of nervous playwright, you know, in rehearsals, hovering in the back seats and and you know, barking out commands every once in a so you should have to get in and dig and see see if your act if your words actually were um, in in the moment and on the stage. Uh, but as we as my company Theater Ublack here in Chicago, we as we went and we you know we're still around as we as we grew over the years. There's just so much. There's so many better actors than myself in this city. So it just it was after a while it seemed ridiculous to cast myself. When I could cast uh, other others, um, sure. So, and it seems like Colm O'Reilly, brief. He seems to be in everything you do. Yeah, Colm is actually. Yeah, that's just. Yeah, so he's uh, Colm O'Reilly. Yeah, he's um, he's part of kind of a Chicago um, lineage of, of really great actors. His father, Bo O'Reilly, is an actor and a playwright with the Curious Theater branch, and they've been around uh, about as long as Ublak, maybe a little longer. And his grandfather uh, was a was a really well known actor in Chicago. Okay. Um, and there's a whole yeah, but he's he's been uh, he's a bit younger than me. He was I first met him when he was just a kid. Mm-hmm. When he first started here, um, but when I when I and I, I went away for a while from Chicago to go back to school and and um, get a degree, and I came back in the late '90s, and he was he was by then a young man, and and that's when I, I first cast him in. Um, in a silent part as, as Mephistopheles in my Faustus play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He did a great job in that, and uh, we subsequently remounted that pay, play about you know nine years later, and we just reversed roles. So he gets it's a two person play, and he uh, and the Faustus is the talky one in that, and, and the devil is the silent one. Yep. Um, and he did it. You know, he did just a much better job than I did in the role. But we're actually remounting that play for a couple nights. End of end of February, we're going to Ohio State with it. And uh, oh, good. Um, so, and and I'm going to play Mephistopheles for the first time. So that, I'm looking forward to that. But that's a yeah. You just sit on stage and do nothing. Is the, is the <laughs> that's, that's so. Well, that's you you, do, you do make scratch marks in a diary or or whatever. Uh-huh. Well, Faustus does that, but the, but Mephistopheles just sits there. there oh, that's right, and 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 read, yeah. and he reads it, despite that that's all there is, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So, okay. So when you decided to focus on playwriting as opposed to acting, what were the sort of the the first steps? And then I think we can lead from there to the, kind of the questions sure. I sent you. So, how what was the transition path? I, I think it was from po- I think I wanted to be a poet first. This is this is now we're in college at University of Michigan, and there was a whole group of poets and and performers and general just artsy types who I fell in with and uh, a great poetry course taught by Ken Michalowski um, around the mostly around the New York school Frank O'Hara and and those guys um, and that and that particular school of poetry I mean it just occurs to me now was was it's very uh, first person, it's very monologue-y in, in some ways so it's in that way it's really theatrical and, and encouraging that type of voice, um, a sort of autobiographical uh, very direct to the um, what O'Hara calls personism 
which is like just you're writing directly to another person, mm-hmm. really encouraged, I think, a, a kind of um, uh, an immediacy and a, and, a, and, a, and a theatricality, I suppose, um, and uh, an accessible language that, that lent itself really well to performance, um, to getting up in front of people in a live situation and delivering lines, delivering words. And, and so that... That poetry was mixed in with uh, a lot of friends who were also doing theater work and um, writing their own plays and um, being in. There was a Brecht company there that that did did all Brecht works, uh, and so a lot of my friends were involved with that. And um, yeah, we just we all felt the the Ublek core group of uh, theater artists sort of fell in together then and uh, just started writing short plays and. Um, I sort of went from poetry to taking a playwriting class, and um, then uh, you know, then wrote, writing plays, and that was that was it. So we, it sort of evolved out of a kind of an open mic poetry mm-hmm. performance type of thing into a sort of more formal idea of, of making small plays. And then I wrote a I, I wrote a full length play, and we put that up, and, and that was sort of the that's when we really started to realize we could do we could really keep together and stay together and be a group, I think, because that was very difficult um, for us to do. It was, it was way beyond our logistical capacity to really pull it off. And, sure, uh, sure. Uh, and we pulled it off. So we, I think we bonded in that moment and, and that's, uh, and we just, you know, we stuck together ever since. Um, yeah. So the core of the group is still, when, what years are we talking about? And, so those are in 1983. Okay, okay. 82, 83, we're starting to get... I, I went to University of Michigan in 82. We're going to meet those those guys in 82, 83, 84, and, and we start to do, do work together. And um, Yeah, and then we moved to Chicago in, in basically end of 87, 88. And, um, okay. And it became Theater Ublek then. We, we had to, we had, we were, our name was Streetlight Theater in, in Ann Arbor. We changed it when we moved to Chicago because there was, I think there was a Street Lamp Theater and Northlight Theater, and there was all these theaters with similar sounding names. So we, we changed it. And um, so we, we count our our origin from 1988. That's what we count when we say we're 25 years old or whatever we are. We, we count from that day. And then Ublek, where does that name that's the Dr. Seuss story, uh, the Bartholomew and the Ublek. Um, okay. His, his book. So we were we were fans of his work and still are. And uh, that it was a it was a very difficult process choosing a name. Uh, collect. We are very you know we're consensus driven group. Um, we work without, <laughs> without a director, and especially at that time. It was oh a, yes, yeah, no director. That's right. Work, uh, yeah, we were. <laughs> it was trying to come up with a name was was. Yeah. Extraordinarily difficult. It just because it, it, you know, everybody had different ideas about what it should be. Uh-huh. So we finally put names into a hat. We drew them out, and he said, you, you, "We voted." I think the vote was not if you liked it, but if you can live with it. Mm, yeah. The idea <laughs> so that we came up with three yeah. things people could live with, and they were all, except for Ublek, were all pretty bad. And uh, I mean, so um, <laughs> so we ended up. With, uh, so you think if it had been, do you like it? It might the vote might never have resolved. You might still be yeah, talking about yeah, the- were, yeah, it. Was it was days? It was it, it was like people were just standing their ground, uh, digging in on their particular favorites and just hating everybody else's ideas. And uh, so it was a, as yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a pleasant memory. So <laughs> wow. 
but, but, we, but, the, but the part of that, though, like you said, there's no director, there's no quote-unquote leader, which must have been a conscious decision from the group. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it came out, we were politically active at University of Michigan with, uh, you know, anti-apartheid and, uh, sure. and stuff that Reagan was doing in, in Central America at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, we, were, we were involved with different protests and uh, protest groups, and a lot of those were run um, very democratically without 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 a team mm-hmm. director or somebody in charge. And I was just generally in, interested in anarchism at that time, and, and those ideas were new to me. And so working, it just seemed very strange to for us to even think about having a sort of centralized authority. It was it was so it was at first it was a sort of this young political um, notion. But then it became more of an aesthetic, to us it became an aesthetic, um, because it became more like a rock and roll band or, or something where you got a lot more, there was real, uh, a different kind of interplay, different kind of way of reaching artistic decisions that, that appealed to us. Um, mm-hmm. Both forms have their, both both structures have their, their pluses and their minuses. Sure. We, since we were a playwright-centric group, and still are, it, I, I I prefer it. I like working. I've worked with directors, and some of my best friends are directors. But the, <laughs> <laughs> there is there is something about when you, when you work in in the in our system, we we the the playwright comes into the room with a script in some form, a draft or whatever. We go into rooms and there's there's really no buffer between the the playwright and the actors. The actors. Um, give their notes directly to the playwright and the playwright gives his notes, his or her notes directly to the actors. And there's no, there's not, there's no intermediary. There's just, there's just you and your, your actor. And, and you have to make a, try your best to make a persuasive case for your, your words on the page. And that's, uh, that in those moments where you're, you're trying to make your case or trying to, to bring the thing to life in rehearsals, uh, you can realize that what you've written is not, is not so great, or mm-hmm. it, it it puts you face to face with your the deficiencies, I suppose, um, in a very intimate way. Whereas in other situations, working with that buffer or working with a a director, I, I find sometimes that there's a there the playwright is in the back row while the director is working with the actors on stage, and everybody's very just very very respectful and, and walking on eggshells and, and kind of just tiptoeing around each other and in a way that I'm just not, Yeah, I don't find myself very useful. So it's just a, it's a personal thing for me, but at this point, but it's what I'm most comfortable with is, is a really immediate give and take. So, so would you say theater Ublex, uh, no director model is, uh, I, I, I think I would think the other model is the more common. Is it less common or do you know of other Oh yeah, companies I'm, like this. Yeah, no, there's there's not too many uh, directorless theaters out there. I mean, we're one of the few. I mean, it's, it's there's great advantages to having directors. One, you can just a lot of directors are really smart and uh, really great artists, and they're 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 it's a, it's a great model for for. Uh, I mean, I've, I've produced great work with uh, really great fun work with with directors. Um, Jason Nodler in in, in uh, Houston. Um, he's the director of the catastrophic theater and they do a lot of my work and I love working with him and, and it's great. Um, so, but, but the, the usual model is that a, a theater company will have a director 
uh, if they take a script of yours, it'll, it'll be developed in workshops with a director, um, and, uh, and there's there's definitely advantages to that, and it can be. I mean, the directors I've worked with here in Chicago, um, just Jessica Thebus, uh, Jimmy McDermott, um, they're just very very smart people. Seth Oakley, just people that have just been in the room as as theater makers who aren't necessarily there as writers or, or as actors. They're just, in some ways, in those development stages, they are just a very invested, but not... Um, uh, they, have, they, have a, they have a distance from the piece that an actor or a playwright would, right. doesn't have in, in those moments. They can almost be a very, just a very intimate outside eye in some, in some ways and can guide the process um, in, in a way that, that our that Ublex approach can't. Um, so there's, you know, pluses create, and minuses. <laughs> yeah, making a play is, is hard work, and you never know what's going to work. And there's and it's all sorts of ways to fail. Um, so and there's different ways to succeed. But that's, yeah, the two models are are alike. Um, but they but the differences for me at this point are 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 quite acute. Sure. So but but so when Ublek does one of your plays, it's the directorless anywhere else it might they might be performed but probably be with the director more yeah, more, yes. so yeah. when my, I, I don't think when my yeah when my work is produced elsewhere it's it's usually uh, with directors and uh, I can't actually think of a, a time when it's now yeah, yeah. what's probably forgetting somebody really important but there's <laughs> you know, mostly yeah. usually uh, and it's usually directors who choose the work so it's a director will have heard about okay. one of and and they'll read it and then they'll pitch it to their company and yep. that's how it that's how it, that goes that's the way it goes down with most playwrights anyway so yeah so but then at Ublek is everybody must be because it seems like you've done a lot at least the plays that I've come across like do you do a disproportionate number of the Ublek Ublek plays or are all actors required not disproportionate in a bad way but are like are you sort of like the house playwright if you will uh, you no I'm not I mean there's a number of house playwrights over the years we've had uh, and, you know but. No, Cullum, Cullum O'Reilly does write okay. plays. And Diana Slickman, who's one of my other go-to uh, actors and who's been in most of my work, um, she's also a great writer. She's worked, she used to work with Neo-Futurarium and Neo-Futurists. She, she works in uh, Boy Girl, Boy Girl, which is one of the, the uh, groups here that, that focuses on uh, mostly monologue work. Um, and she's, I mean, she's an amazing writer, for whatever reason, she doesn't uh, write for Ublek. I don't. I, I mean, I don't. I, I keep asking her to. Yeah, you should. Yes, hasn't yet. But she. But she comes. She brings a lot as an actress. To yeah. Process and so she, um, so um, yes, we have. I mean, David Isaacson, Jeff Dorchin, Danny Thompson, Terry Capsalis. Uh, she's okay. she's done work with us, and uh, you know, going back over the years. Dave Buchan right now, who lives in Puerto Rico, but is one of the founding members of Ublek, um, is one of our biggest creators. He, he does a lot. Um, he's, right now he's, work, he's been working on this cycle of uh, translations of Baudelaire's poems um, that are then uh, turned into songs, and he does um, this, this amazing scroll scenery work for them. And that's been a seven-year project to translate all the Fleur de Mal uh, poems into these, these what's called Antistoria. Um, and so he's, uh, so there's, there's, over the years, over the eras, there's been varying degrees of, of activity from, from the, the core group. Um, but no, I'm not the, uh, I'm not the house player. Right, right, right. 
I want to, I'm, you know, in recent years, I suppose there's, my stuff has been, we've done it because it's, it's easy to do. I, I deliberately write, you know, try to write small cast plays these days. Oh, okay. So there's some, like, practical, like, logistical kind of. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's my, you know, I, I for Ublek, that's because we are a bare bones theater and we, we yeah. don't have, uh, you know, one of the secrets of our longevity is we don't have a lot um, of infrastructure. We don't have, uh, a, you know, we don't. Uh, yeah, we don't have a lot of um, bureaucracy or, or yeah. you know, whatever. You know, we don't have an office. We don't have uh, don't have overhead. Too much overhead. We don't have. We don't have a big board. Yeah. Uh, that we have to. We don't have a subscriber base, etc. So we we keep things very very slim, and um, uh, so we're you know that kind of guerrilla group that in and out real quick. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't have space. Uh, we you know we're itinerant. Um, but we, it is for the kind of plays that I write, which are minimalist and, and generally small cast, they can be put up in a, in a fair number of different types of spaces. So, um, right. Yeah. Easily. So yeah. The two, the two plays I saw were actually in two different places. Now that I think about it, there was the one on Randolph, I think. And then the other one that at the, um, wherever the too much light made the, the theater on Ashland and Clark. Right, right. Or, Ashley, right. yeah. or Foster and Ashland, or whatever. To, yeah, the, the future area. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, um, yeah. So those are, yeah. Both those plays are um, have been. I mean, Song about himself was uh, was done at the DCA D case um, space where you saw it, but then we easily moved it up to the Burker Park Mansion um, uh, court courthouse, and um, uh, not the court. What, what, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Coach house. Coach house, not courthouse. That would be, but it could be done in a courthouse. Yeah, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, and, and you saw there is a happiness that morning is at, um, at the damn future. Yeah. It's been done. We've done that in all sorts of spaces. Well, that one, that one was also, that particular one was a fundraiser for going to New York, which obviously yeah. is, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So a lot of your plays, and this is sort of one of the questions I did, like they, you know, they build from the Tempest or Faustus or Hunchbacker. So that seems to be a common source material, the great works, uh, if you will. <laughs> so is that, was that conscious or did that just happen because that's what you personally resonated with or how did, how, how uh, do you find your sources? Right. So that's, I mean, that's a, I think that's a good question. I, and I, I can only sort of answer it in hindsight, instead of a sure, record, sure. there's a plan. I yes. go to a play thinking I'll, I'll try to, I'll write, you know, you, you pluck at whatever straw you can. Mm-hmm. And I, it is true that I do end up at a certain point in the process, um, weaving in or bringing in a, a classic work or a classic author, um, long dead. <laughs> they always have to be long dead. Yep. That's, that's the rule. They have to be dead at least a hundred years. Um, part of that comes out of the just the the crowd, the Ublet crowd that I run with. We were interested in, in early on in just in literature and and yep. um, arts and ideas and 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 just ripping off that stuff and satirizing it or weaving it in or commenting on it. I think that's just the the era that we grew up in. You know, with with Tom Stoppard and. Um, yes. So they're all all that stuff was just becoming very much as just sort of the norm is that you just try to to comment directly on um, works of the canon or just or anything out there in the world that and just make and pull it into your play and then make it part of it. But for me, I think just personally, I don't I don't um I don't say well I'm going to 
write a play that involves William Blake, I, uh, I, the the common thread for me for all the the, the literature that I've included, in my work has been that at some early point in my life, as in my adult life, I, I had a I had a real strong connection to that work. So I read I read The Stranger like most of us. I read it in high school and. Unlike some of us, I really liked it, and it really, it really, it really influenced me and really affected me. But I hadn't read, I hadn't reread it, so I use The Stranger and other Camus works for for mm-hmm. Stranger, the the George Bush play that I wrote, um, and that. So all the work that I did with Camus in that piece, I was just going back to my high school days and rereading the plague and rereading Stranger, and and so. It, to, Part of it is just a, a memory piece for me. Is this going back to touchstones from my youth with that that were important to me? Same is true of songs of innocence and experience. That that that's that was early college stuff. That you know that you, that time of your life when anything can just blow your mind and, and yeah yeah really impact you in a huge way. And that and I think that's recurring thing that that I have a close connection to those works that I that I want to. That I both love them and I love to make fun of them and I love to I love to uh, explore them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just exploring them, but it's exploring an earlier version of myself, I suppose. So that's it's it's something that to do with uh, nostalgia and memory and and um, uh, early adulthood that those works um, I get into. But, but it's not like you. I mean, it would be almost, it would almost sad if, like, you had a list. This year, I'm going to tackle yeah. King Lear. <laughs> uh, that list never works, actually. You're never. right. I yeah. was like, okay, so I know I'm going at this point in my career, yeah. my so-called career. I, I do, I do, I know this about myself that it just becomes, um, it, it becomes uh, not easier, but it just. For whatever reason, I I have to attach myself or bring in the work of an of a classic author at some point. It just helps me. It helps when I'm sort of stuck. Uh-huh. I'm reading something that I that I sincerely love and respond to in this in this old way. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm reaching back, but it just helps me. So I I try to plan. I think, oh, this this year it'll be Macbeth, or this year you know this year I'm going to do Don Quixote or whatever. Oh, okay. And, um, and it never works out. Never it works. Never. No. I, I have to struggle with the. I mean the. The 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 Camus with the Stranger, yes. <laughs> uh, that was I struggled with that. What I was trying to do with that play was uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I was trying to I was trying to bring Albie's play into that. Like that was going to be the, the. I had the idea for that play was 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 working with the 2004 debates between John Kerry and, and George Bush, right. moderated by Jim Lehrer. And so I have that as a text, and I was working with that as the format, and I knew I wanted to weave in some other sort of work, and I thought that work was going to be Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and I beat my head against that wall for a very long time, and nothing really came of it. And it wasn't until George Bush actually himself went to went on vacation and read The Stranger, and uh, I don't know if you remember that, but he came back from a, some, one of his many summer vacations, and they asked him what he had read, and he read he had read some sh- uh, that's what he said. Some Shakespeare's and and The Stranger, like Camus, and then and that was during the height of the Gulf War. Um, yeah, and it, so the the irony was not lost on, on on most critics of that war that you know, The Stranger is a, a book about a guy killing an Arab, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and the whole yeah, 
all that stuff. And so, so that was that became the inspiration. That was yeah, that was yeah, that was so that was a big aha moment in in that process, and that was brought to you by the former president. So, (laughs) thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually another question I. Spirits to enforce, which has the tempest, just kind of it's. I was in. I think as a viewer, you could figure out pretty well when they're speaking in the round and when they're when one word bleeds. But as an actual reader, you had it required a lot of, um, as you well know, a text explication that this. Per, so what, which made me think about how hard it actually is to depict certain oral things on the page. Yeah. So so what made you uh, what. Not not like you need to have an exact linear, but like what 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 was your process in working through that? Well, that was just necessity. I mean, I I was I was actually working at the time, so that that play um, is a is a phone bank play. They're they're all on the phone. There's twelve of them. Yes. All raising. They're all raising money. Um, it's a boiler room. They're all raising where the characters are all raising money for it to for, towards a production of the Tempest. And I at that time I was working as a phone caller, a fund, a telefundraiser for the Chicago Symphony. And so that was my everyday life. I was going to, to uh, go. To, okay. I went to work and I, I was asking people for money. Yep. So that, I always, I wanted to do a, a piece around that because it felt it, it shared some um, elements of theater. I'm interested in that. Any, any parts of our sort of mundane life, like panel discussions or debates or lectures or, or, or phone rooms um, right. that, that share elements of the, the theater, but aren't aren't theater themselves. So I was interested in that and, and bringing that in, and um, and that so everything everything in the text is born of necessity. You have you have a bunch of people in the room; they're not talking to each other; they're talking on the phones, and they're necessarily overlapping each other. So that's um, that's all that. Well, that's it. Just I didn't. I don't. I, I didn't enjoy that process of trying to type that up. No, because it's quite. It's quite <laughs> there's, there, there's one point in the print where, like, the somebody's words go to the very beginning of the next page, and it's just a typographic. It's the way yeah. the margins, are, and like, but even that simple little fact shows how hard, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> what you were trying to do, yeah. and I, and I'm not very good with with word programs, you know. I'm some, uh, yeah, well, I, that was, was only the one time. It, it, it wasn't, it was, I didn't think it was you. I, I thought it was the limits of the yeah, connection so between our language and how we yeah. depict it. You know. So, it, oh, but it, actually, speaking of that, hope and non things is that? Yeah, they're my is, publisher here in Chicago. Yeah. So they were. So that. So they eventually would have formed. I mean, at the end, right? Like, yeah. So they had written. to struggle with that, and it was it was a pain in their butt. But yeah, so it's. Um, yeah. You know, but it, it, in the initial draft, it was a pain in my butt because it was—I had to—it wasn't published at that point. It was just I was trying to get the text out so the actors could read it, and um, and I didn't even know how to make columns. I don't—I don't, you know. It's I, I, my preferred thing is a pad and a piece of you know a pen and a pad of paper, and I, and and the, yeah. when I go on the computer, it's the simplest. I use text edit on on a Mac, and it's just like the less bells and whistles, the uh, better, the better, the better, for me. and and that's. And so when I had to then take, you know, what I was trying to do with that, um, 12 different voices all talking at different times, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was, it was, I, I don't think I could do it again. I don't, I don't, really, I don't remember what commands there you have to use to, 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 con- to make to that. that to, 
and then you would so that one what yeah they're trying to raise money for the to, for this production this what seems to be a, a doomed production of the tempest yep. from but uh but then occasionally they would break out in tempest speak within right. it, like, like so how would so i thought that was a so you had to find a way such that the uh the words from their just sort of the mundane phone call somehow could be elevated so do you remember the this may have been a long time ago they but how, like how did you uh structure it such that they would crescendo to these points well i, I mean they're just trying to make the pitch right so they're they and they're they're all in the tempest as well so that's the yes yeah that's complicated thing so that the people who are raising the money for the production are also themselves at the same time rehearsing the production so it's it was natural it seems uh it hopefully comes up you know in performance as natural that they are while they're making their pitch that they're doing bits from the from the tempest. oh uh, yeah Maybe that's okay. Yeah, but then like, but some of them said they were rehearsing. Others of them told their their prospects they hadn't rehearsed yet. Right. Right. Like there was great humor in it about how the different people would, like the one woman would Donna be like desperate to get. You know, other people really hammered hard. Like you probably knew all that from your symphony. Yeah. I think from the theater world is just. I mean, that whole section where they're trying to rehearse is um, hopefully a reflection of. Actually, true life, yeah, real, real, yeah. Those approaches to to that process. So then, you know, I oh, the last question I sort of formally sent you, or, or some versions of it, and this might not be like there's a real simple answer, or like, but you know, is would you say there's an ethos, or is to your art, or is everything a new, every place sort of uh, blank slate? I don't know. I, yeah, that's that's hard. I, uh I've been thinking about that question. I, I mean, it, it feels it's not a question I can give too much attention to because it because really I don't think there is. I wish there was an answer. I wish there was a. I had a I had a file on my desktop where I just open it and say, "Here's what you're <laughs> here's what you're on about. Here's what you do. <laughs> this is why you do it." Um, yeah. I, I don't. I don't believe artists who do have. I, I guess I envy the playwrights who feel that they have a. They have a, a very well-defined reason for why they're doing what they do. Um, I think my, I, for, there's a lot of different things that go into the writing of a play for me, and uh, so for my my personal my personal stake in it does have something to do with with memory, with my going back to childhood, going back to what theater meant to me back then um, which was as simple just as simple as possible um, and, and there's a great there's a there's, I've been thinking a lot about a Charlie Brown Christmas um, okay recently, that that you know that famous the Charlie Brown Christmas where there yep it's there's a couple of things that are unusual about that it's a as it's a it's a classic backstager in that you the the action of the piece is that they're rehearsing this this Christmas show right and and Yep. Charlie Brown is the director. Yep. What's unusual about it is that they actually never get to the show itself, mm-hmm. um, and that's—I can't think of another example of that in, in the, the, the long history of, of, of plays and movies about the making of a play or a movie. You always get to that opening night. Mm-hmm. And it's an important part of the arc that you do get to the opening night. You don't. You never get, and you never see them actually get to even a rehearsed scene. What you do get is when Charlie Brown 
asked, can someone tell me what Christmas means? Linus goes out and asks for lights. And it's the only time that you get quiet on the set and, and, a, and a, a theatrical um, device, a light coming on in, in, on him. And, and he delivers the speech. He delivers, I forget the biblical passage, just the, the, the I think it's Matthew 23 or something. Yeah. He, so he does the, the birth of Christ and, and describes what the, what the wise men saw, the, the light. And it's this, and Schultz fought very hard for that, uh, that moment to be in there. But that is a, is a perfect moment of, of, of American minimalism. And that is, that it's not a complete work. He, he's, um, there's no set, there's no costumes, there's no, uh, there's the script he's reading is, is a script and he's got it memorized, but he's doing it on the spot. Um, and it has no, um, there's no audience even except right. Lee Brown and us. Uh, perhaps, I mean, I guess the rest of the cast might be paying attention, but you get the feeling that they, they're not. not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, that, yeah. that, that idea of one work, the whole show working towards a play that never happens and the, and the thing that does happen that could be called theatrical um, is, is entirely stripped down and, and, um, and includes a classic work the Bible uh, that that speaks in in past tense, right? So it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 a past tense work, which is a big which is a, a big no no usually in the theater. You, when you write plays, you want to be in the moment. You want right. to have actors right. present, the action happening now, and we are we are in the present. We are in the present moment. So there's there's those elements sort of cobbled together describe a lot of my work and that I just that was not that wasn't intentional I mean I don't you know I mean, Chris Charlie Brown Christmas like, you know I can't remember the first time I saw it it was it's so far back right and, it, and, you, and you probably saw it every year right you would see it yeah, over and over again absolutely every year so it's, it was a ritualized experience but and I think I see a lot of that in the monologue work say of Spalding Gray or, or Mike mm-hmm. Dixie, uh, you see you see a lot of that or just stand-up comedy, or just uh, a lot of the theater work in America today that could be described as minimalist, or monologue work, or meta-theatrical work. Um, I think for a lot of us, there's just these eerie similarities to be between the that, that work in contemporary American theater and that Linus monologue and that the, the whole Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, so there's a whole thesis there. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. That's your. That, that, that's, that's your. You should get a PhD now, and and that, yeah. there's your doctorate. That's yeah. That's 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 the best I can come up with it. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't, that's the uh, you know. Since then, that's always been like well, and I and I'm not a Christian. I'm not a. I don't. I'm not a religious person, and I wasn't then. My yeah. family wasn't, and yep. so the that moment being moving or or uh, magnetic is is not to do with with the with the right story. Yeah. Yeah. Not to do with that is it really is just wow that little kid is going out there and he's calling for lights and there's that great clunky you know that yeah lights up on him and he, then he suddenly has this speech and he and he's delivering it um, and I didn't know what that speech meant when I was a kid at all I had no idea like why is he doing that but it, it felt like this profound moment right and just because it's all this Charlie Brown so upset and it doesn't solve Charlie Brown's problem at all. Charlie Brown's problem is that nobody's listening to him, and 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 Christmas is too commercial, and and, and right, that's all true. The rest of it doesn't have any friends. It's all of his usual problems, and yeah. and Linus's big speech um, really it doesn't it 
it doesn't like, directly address it. It doesn't, doesn't have a direct consequence for our for our protagonist. Um, so it there's it, that whole thing is great, and um, the and and I mean Schultz's whole aesthetic I think has bled into a lot of a lot of uh, American culture, but I think a lot a lot more of uh, theater is influenced by the comics and graphic novels and, and all that stuff that we most of us grew up with and uh, Charlie Brown in particular was um, I think is, has influenced us more than a lot that, more than no. we realize yeah so uh, speaking I you know I kind of joke that could be your peach you are, are you teaching yourself or at least at one point you were at University of Chicago right are you still yeah, there? I teach I teach at University of Chicago okay so yeah, I mean I teach uh, right now, I teach a class in fundamentals of playwriting, and um, and I teach uh, yeah. So I teach yeah, I teach playwriting. So that's what I do. I'm trying to frame this. The the first day of your fundamentals of playwriting class. Yeah, it's a good do question. Stu- do students like? Is there a typical pattern of motivations, or are they all totally unique? Like, how do you structure that first day? I I, no, I try to strip things down to essentials. That's, yeah, yeah, um, I, and I. And because my plays, I don't, I don't, I don't hold up my plays as models. I don't have the students read my plays. Some of the, some of them might be familiar with my work or not. Yeah. Um, but it's, I try to take each play. I really believe that each play has a, has a voice inside of it that's trying to get out and try to try to tell the the playwright how to write itself. Um, and discovering that, carving through the cliches and stereotypes and. and yeah. st- um, plot devices and so forth. That that's trying to clear that stuff away and get at the heart of or the voice of a of a student's play is the, is how I see my work. So I um, I just ask them to you know we, we come in the second week with and I we jump them right in just I say just sit down and give me two pages that start at the beginning start at the your scene one opening moment and um, we start from there and we we just try to we put that up in class and we look at it and we try to investigate it and take it on its own terms and you know there's just at this moment in history in theater history especially i mean it's worldwide but there is no there is no expected form um there is no one way to tell a story on the stage and in fact the expectation is that you will have some some innovative way of doing it that that uh, you know that we're interested in plays that tell the story backwards or inside out or chopped up or whatever so there's there's um there's all sorts of different ways to skin the cat and and that's that makes the job in many ways harder yeah so you really you if, if i could just come in on that first day and say okay here's three act structure here's your inciting incident you've got a protagonist here's right. how the action builds and then right. you have this climax and it happens right here on page you know, 58. Oh, 58, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I write shorter plays, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So if this was the 19th century, I could... I could you could I could do that. Teach, I could <laughs> teach the well-made play, and I can't... You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't... You can't... Uh, that, that wouldn't be... That wouldn't be serving your... Your, your student, student, yeah. So you can only the, expose them to different things. So then, but is the final product of that first course of the full play or the yes, one act yes. that's that's the a one act play or you know if you yeah. don't that you can say short play yes that has to have a, a beginning middle and end uh not necessarily in that order but it has to you have to complete it and it doesn't doesn't have to be a good ending 
That's you have to you you have to grapple with that, and that's and that's I think maybe the most important rule of the class is that because most one of the problems with uh, most playwrights is that uh, or beginning playwrights or even veteran playwrights is that you just you just don't want it to end or you can't you just you can't get over that final hump mm-hmm. without so that's I was like no you don't bring in your big project here we're not gonna. Not, not going to talk about the grand idea for a three-act or a five-act musical extravaganza. We're going to make something that has a beginning. Beginning, because okay. it's a, is it a semester or a qu- like how long do they have it's to do? Quarter, the, at yeah. University of Chicago, it's, it's too short. It's ten classes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and there's it's it's way too short. And uh, mm-hmm. so we, but it's it's a hurry up and and we just you know we get it done and uh, great work has been produced um, by the students. Great. Thank you for listening to this second episode of Unpeeling the Onion, and special thanks to Michael Maher. For more details about what we discussed, please visit the show notes at unpeelingtheonion.tumblr.com.